Hello and welcome to Unmuted Unmastered. I'm Will and this is the internet's most electrifying music podcast. On this week's show, I'm joined by James. Hello. Jess. Hello. And finally returning to the show, Tom. I'm back. On this week's episode, we're going to be reviewing the new Ibibio Sound Machine album. We've got the upcoming releases you need to know about, but first, the news. Tom, take it away. In the news this week, oh, it's good to be back behind the mic. In the news this week, uh, Spotify has announced that 50,000 artists have generated over $10,000 from Spotify streams in the last year, and 15,000 of them uh, uploaded their own music to the platform, so they were probably independent um, artists. This comes from Music Business Worldwide, who um, have reported basically what I've told you just there. Spotify have recently put out a press release saying that a massive amount of artists are actually now able to make one on paper, seems like a reasonable living, just from the revenue they're generating from their Spotify streams. In principle, this is really cool. There are a lot of people who are um, making a reasonable amount of money um, purely from the streams that they're getting from a new digital platform. It's really, really cool. And given that we're only, like, what, 20 years into the digital revolution, this is good steps. Um, On the flip side, however... Um, given that one of Spotify's um, goals and one of its aims, its mission statements as a company, uh, is to allow um, one million creative artists the opportunity to live off their art, this is pretty rubbish. Um, and it's kind of like a, a pebble in the ocean, shall we say. Um, so kind of a double-pronged sword here. Spotify are kind of bigging up their own service again, and they should. It's good. It's really, really good news. Um, the fact that about 30,000 of these artists probably include names such as ooh, Ariana Grande, James Bay, Ed Sheeran. Um, let me think who else might be making a living off of their Spotify streams. Um, Pink Floyd, um, Metallica, um, Chic, Enkelbert, Humperdinck. Given that all those people will probably make a living off of their music um, regardless and probably are being included in this um, audience, it's not great, but it's a start, you know, A for effort, even if it, even if the grade for attainment is a bit lower at this stage. One thing I wanted to pick up on is these artists who are earning $10,000 a year, that's not enough to live on really, is it? Especially well, no. if you're in the US, like, that means that you, you're self-employed in that point, which means you have to manage your own health insurance and whatever if you're in America. $10,000 is like nothing presumably barely enough to get by let alone have you know luxuries like health insurance or housing insurance and stuff like that so they say what 16 and a half thousand artists generated more than fifty thousand dollars in the previous year that seems more like the number of people who are actually living could be living off of it potentially although even a fraction of those are going to be groups so each individual artist won't be earning 50,000, they'll be earning a percentage of that. And then you take out artists who are, uh, who have distribution deals or label deals, and that amount gets whittled down even more, right? Yeah, it's kind of a nothingy figure because, like you said, uh, in the US and in the UK and Europe, it's not going to be a livable figure to go on. Maybe if we're thinking worldwide, an African artist or an Indian artist or uh, in another part of the world, it could be a reasonable um, revenue to live off of. 
but also that's a very presumptive thing to say and also it doesn't really matter because stream revenue per country varies quite massively there are areas where you do get more per stream and there's areas where you do get less per stream um depending on how um difficult or, or rather how much competition there is to get people's ears so in the us and in the uk you will get less revenue per stream than you would in other territories um so you're right it's, it's kind of a nothingy figure which again i like the idea of it but also there's a long way to go spotify come on one other news story this week ed sheeran wins court case over the shape of you you may remember oh gosh must have been about four or five weeks ago we covered um sand i mean sammy switch uh who is an independent artist who sued ed sheeran um over the center of the shape of you claiming that it was a copy of uh switch's 2015 song oi um and that ed sheeran had ripped off the, vo the vocal hook he'd taken it from him um ed sheeran went to court about this case he's fought it and he's won the case um, which is an interesting ruling in itself. What's even more interesting is Ed Sheeran posted a video on social media recently, and I'm quoting for the BBC here, where he says that there is now a culture, quote, where a claim is made uh, with the idea that a settlement will be cheaper than taking it to court, even if there's no basis for the claim. So kind of what we said when we first covered this story, and I'm sure that we've said it for a couple of other court cases that we've mentioned on the podcast before, um, it can seem like a really, really sensible and reasonable option for small artists who coincidentally, when the stars align, have written a song which sounds a bit like a song which came out later and was massively successful to go, hey, I can make a bob or two here and I could literally uh, put together a court case. I could take this artist to court and they could just give me a lump sum to say, go away and don't bother me again. Um which is kind of a sad reality in many ways of, of being an independent artist, but also it's still quite shady and it's still quite a um, unpopular way to make a living, shall we call it that? I'm sure there's a better phrase for it. Um, so basically, Echiron wanted to make a point here. You know, it would have been the easy option. It would have been the simple option um, to make a settlement here and say to Sammy Switch, here's 50,000, here's 100,000, here's 200,000, go away and we've settled this matter. Um, but the fact of the matter is, A. Sheeran's made a perfectly valid point, which is that exacerbates a culture where this could continue and it could roll on and it could continue happening. Uh, he then added He then added later, uh, it's really damaging to the songwriting industry. There's only so many notes and very few chords used in pop music. Coincidence is bound to happen if 60,000 songs are being released every day on Spotify. That's 22 million songs a year, and there's only 12 notes that are available. It's a bit of an overstatement, but yes, very good point, well made. It's one of those things where there is such a saturation of music right now, you're going to get songs which do sound very, very similar, especially in the pop music realm. So there's that. Ed Sheeran wins his court case um, with Sammy Switch over uh, The Shape of You. It doesn't happen very often, so marketing your calendars, folks. But I'm siding with the very rich person on this case. Yeah. I feel like normally in these cases, I'm like, oh, like these people have so much money, like you don't need to fight for them on their behalf. Like they've got an army of lawyers to do it. But like, yeah, it does feel like there's kind of this culture of almost kind of shaking down big artists now just because there's a vague similarity between 
songs. And yet, for major labels and for big artists, oftentimes it's the easiest route out is to just pay a bit of money and get it to go away. But Ed Sheeran's kind of in a somewhat unique position, given he has so much money that he could actually go and fight it and kind of take a stand for himself, but also for kind of the industry in general. Okay, are we ready to get on to our review for this week? Yeah. Sure. Bit more enthusiasm? Yep, yep. Yay! Yeah! This week we'll be reviewing Electricity by Abibio Sound Machine. It is 48 minutes and 25 seconds long. It was released on the 25th of March 2022 on Merge Records. It was produced by Al Doyle, Joe Goddard, and Max Grunhard. Max Grunhard, uh, who are three of the members of the band Hot Chip. Uh, band camper Philip Graham uh, reviews the album and he says uh, a band possessed every musician's brain on fire and his favourite track was Protection from Evil that's a masterful use of a metaphor <laughs> you read a review earlier to us which I don't think we can say on this podcast but that also no, kind of didn't make sense this one didn't really make sense to me so I don't know what was about this album, but apparently it gives reviews that has bad English, like me. Well then, let's see how good your review is talking about this album. James, what did you think? Oh yeah, okay. Price is on. Um, Better make sense now. I have, I have mixed feelings about this album. Um, one side of me really, really enjoyed it. Um, what did I put? Not so easy now, is it, James? <laughs> there's, there's one word I want to use, but <laughs> I yeah, forgot what that English word was. I've got it written down. Ah, uh, whatever. It's a really focused album, I thought. There was variety, but it really tried to go in, um, push towards that electronic, like, I think disco a lot, and um, the blend with, like, the African, um, Nigerian influences. And it really drove into that and all the tr all the tracks had so much rhythm and feeling to them they had so much like you could dance to every single one of them really like i could really see these in a disco in a club like they're really feeling good tracks but on the other side of things i felt like the tracks really stuck with a structure throughout they didn't exactly sound the same where, well, some songs sounded similar to others, but I think that's just kind of the nature of albums in general, to be honest. But they didn't really go out somewhere else. It didn't really um, go out on a limb, um, let's say. There were some moments which you might say were a little bit different. There were some like blues guitar bits. It leaned into the funky area a bit more, but I don't know. that They... They did their thing well, but it didn't go out its way to do anything too different. Um, but saying that, what it did was really good, I think. And that's all I got, because my words <laughs> is just mumbled up. And jumbled up. Jumbled up. Right, Tom. Let's get on to you. Tom can make it make sense. I have a different opinion. I very, very much enjoy this album. 
a lot. Um, Ibibio Sound Machine really, really blew me away here. Um, vibrant and colourful, thematic and powerful, diverse and yet not confused, um, new and yet perplexing. I really, really like this, and I like how... Um, polarised my thoughts were about this album. First thing to say is that um, the English and non-English sections of the music really, really got my um, English literature head going on here. There was a module I studied called Global Literatures where lots of books are written in some parts in English, some parts in um, non-English dialects or in a um, non-Anglo language, um, which is just delicious. I love stuff like that because what is translated and what isn't what can you say in English and what can you not say in English? What thoughts come from an English-speaking background and what thoughts come from a non-English-speaking background? So immediately when I heard when I, when I heard different languages in this album, I thought this sounds delicious. I need to, and I want to understand this, but it's a great mystery to me. Um, so, I, so I really found that a really brave and bold decision right off the bat. I didn't understand it, but I know that there is something in here that I'm almost not meant to understand. And perhaps it's almost not for someone like me. And I thought, okay, kudos. I'm going to take it as it comes. Um, there were loads and loads and loads of influences that I heard from all over the place. I heard bits of Kraftwerk and bits of Daft Punk, but I also heard bits of um, Robin and of... Um, Yazoo, and I heard bits of um, loads of different artists. I heard a bit. I heard a bit of. Um, someone else came to mind. Come on, brain, work with me here. Uh, the Human League and a bit of Dramiroquai. Loads of cool little um, Western influences to hear, with lots of West African um, influences thrown in there as well. Really loved this album. Really, really adored it. Nice, Jess. Yeah, Tom, I'm more on your side of this. I uh, I thought this was a pretty great album. It was, I can't really describe it um, any other way than infectiously funky at almost all points. It was just a lot of fun all the way through. And it felt really big to me. Like It felt like they were trying to do so many different things and they were just showing off that they could do a lot of stuff really well, go in a lot of different directions while keeping it focused, as you mentioned. Um. This is one of the ones where I don't have as much to say on the whole album as I do on lo like lots of the individual tracks, so I'm going to have much more to say later. But again, I noticed a lot of influences. Um, so much modern sort of dance punk artists, like people like Lone Lady, um, and modern synth pop. And again, like when I heard that it was produced by Hot Chip, that makes a lot of sense. But as you mentioned, with the sort of Afro-funk core in it at all times and different influences from that side of things too. I think it maybe moved towards electronic more than some of that other stuff, but I mean, I enjoy that. It was it was still a great blend for me. And one of the standout points for me was the vocals as well, which were, they went both ways from being at some points very gentle and smooth and then absolutely so aggressive at other points. And either way, it was like conveying a lot of emotion, um, but being really sort of bright and melodic at the same time. So just always something really engaging to listen to and I felt like I just it was compulsively just tapping my feet and nodding my head along to it without meaning to at all at most of the points so yeah this is this is a fun one for me I really enjoyed this week 
Yeah, I enjoyed this album too. I really like the whole kind of distorted disco aesthetic, and I feel like they really lean into it at the beginning of the album where, okay, it is this disco sound, and you can, like, as soon as you know, like, you can kind of hear the hot chip production underneath, like, that's kind of their signature. But everything kind of has this haze of it. It's almost like it's all been filtered through Daft Punk's Human After All. Like, it is this kind of, like, Afro-funk, post-punky disco album, but then it's all, like, cranked through an amp that's going a little bit too hot, and it it just really, really works for me. Yeah, I agree that this would be a fantastic album to hear live. I think most of their music would be, because it's just, it's got those great grooves, right? Um... And I think the the hooks when they come are generally really strong. Um, at this point, and I've only listened to it a few times, and I feel like this is going to be an album that takes a bit more time than I've had to listen to it to kind of get more of a grip on. But for me, there, there are songs I really, really love, and then there are some songs that I'm kind of like, eh. Like, maybe over time they'll grow on me, but for the moment... They were just kind of like, I was like, let's get back to something else for now. I wasn't as interested in those. But when it does work, yeah, you you hear like influences and sometimes they're quite on the nose, but then it's all, there's always something else going on at the same time that makes it kind of more than just that one thing that they're kind of showing you. Uh, and we'll get into some of the, the specifics later on. But honestly, some of my favourite moments were the ones where they went kind of in weird directions um afo ken doko mien in particular which is like the softest track on the album it's just kind of like this quite quiet kind of looping track i feel like is kind of the standout here which i wouldn't have expected going into a hot chip produced ibibio sound machine album right uh but yeah overall very enjoyable I remember the word I was thinking of now, um, and it was groove. Groove. I thought this album had a lot of grooviness to it. And it had a lot of things you could just sit down, nod your head to, tap your foot to, or even get up and dance if you wanted to do that. Yeah, on your point of um, there being some songs you weren't so fussed about, well, I think I did feel like at points it it was a relatively long album. It was getting a little bit on the long side and there's a couple that I think are completely fine on their own but they sort of didn't add anything uh, that hadn't really been covered by other songs. Yeah, that's my big thing. It's not that any particular part is particularly weak. It's more that just kind of by the time I'm getting to the end of the first half, I I don't know, Maybe it, I feel like it maybe could have been tightened up or I would have preferred it a bit shorter where each of the tracks is like just three minutes and even though all of the development is good it just feels like we're taking a bit too long to get to the next thing sometimes but that might be my impatience more than anything I think it's a fair um, comment certainly the first five tracks I loved and I thought this is brilliant and then I started to fade a little bit and I thought so where's the twist here where's the turn here Although I say that track five was quite the turn after the initial first, after the initial four, um, but we'll probably come on to that. Uh, let's kick off with protection from evil. You look, yeah, you were saying Will about the 
the fuzz in the first half of the album maybe and yeah i think this this first track probably shows it the most and it's something i really enjoyed the, the general fuzz and the dissonance of it obviously dissonance, dissonance is not always the good thing but i think they did it really well here um especially with the guitar and the horns in the final third um and i guess i could say this for the rest of the album but particularly in this track as well um the rhythm was really driven and the vocals felt really like assertive, which I really enjoyed in the first one. And I think having this as the first track was a really good decision and it made me want to listen to more of it, really. Yeah, this is a great first track, in my opinion. I think this is actually my favourite opening track of any of the albums we've had so far, mm. which is really quite high praise. I, I love this one. I love the dance punk kind of bass guitar that you have. It was it sounded a lot like LCD sound system at points to me, but then in contrast to someone like LCD who has relatively like quiet vocals a lot of the time, actually in some of their songs, they kind of fade in. This had, like you mentioned, James, like these really sharp sounding definitive vocals, which were great. Um, I believe the language is Ibibio from Nigeria. So that's just, yeah, like another, great spin on it um and i loved all the different layers of synths that because it had some that were very like bloopy bloopy and some that were really harsh and aggressive (laughs) (laughs) technical terms technical terms and then it had like oh there's a moment in this track that i'm sure you'll know it's the sort of like the the drop i guess with like the horns in it it's such a good moment. It's, that to me is like festival headliner moment. Like that would get everyone dancing. That is such a that could be a really classic moment to be honest in a sort of dance track, and it hits me every time I listen to it. And it's my favorite moment on the whole album, which is like sort of a shame that it comes so soon, but it's great. It's interesting as well because it's not a very I wouldn't call this a safe opening track. It feels a bit risky to have a track that is this brash and this loud and this um, saturated and this um, wild as the first track. It's not an easy intro to the album, but also it does just work. The dissonance and the, um, the, the, the these weird, like, you know, um, floaty synths that come out of nowhere and then this great wall of grit which hits you as well. And then this mix of... Um, different vocal styles and different languages. It feels so um, stunning, but it's also not jarring. I didn't feel like this was an ugly track. I felt like it was something that really surprised me in the same way that maybe Yardak did. It just really threw me. It wasn't that it was too. It wasn't that it was massively unconventional and trying to be um, weird and different, but it did just hit differently. I was reading that. Uh... Ibibio Sound Machine and Hot Chip actually met because they performed at a festival together and they liked each other's sets, so Ibibio asked Hot Chip <laughs> if they'd produce the album. So it, it kind of makes sense That's that they'd cool. open with this because you're perfectly right, Jess. Yeah, it sounds like... I mean, it sounds like something that Hot Chip would have in the middle of their festival set, right? And it would just like completely kick yeah. off. So yeah, it, it really works. Everyone go and listen to this song, please. 
I mean, we haven't got on to the whether people should go and listen to the album yet, Jess. So you know, respect right, right. the format, please. We said we said listen <laughs> to the song, not the album. The rest of it could be rubbish. You don't know yet. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Probably it won't this be, but it could be. Don't start spinning off your own independent mini podcasts in our podcast, Jess. <laughs> I won't have it. <laughs> Gonna make my own ranking list. Uh, so we can move away from that. Let's talk about the title track, Electricity. I feel like this is a, a nice switch from Protection from Evil, where it goes from that song, which is quite harsh in general, to this one, which I feel like has more of kind of a... It's a slower groove, but then it has kind of more of a... It has kind of sweeter melodies to it as well, like it kind of works on a different level and shows you a different side of their sound, so it's kind of this one-two punch of the first two tracks. My only notes I've got written down for this song are fiddle diddle diddle dee Yep. Because <laughs> I believe that was a lyric, and it really threw me the first time I heard it, and actually every time I listen to it. Well, the main note I have is the start of it sounds like the, the THX like theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This album did have a few like random funny little bits in it. I don't know if they're intentional. The lyrics were definitely something that I picked up on this one as well. Um, just little lines that... It's one of those songs where it doesn't have a story, but it really, really resonates with me. Just little lines like, let me speak from the heart, and even like little um, turns of phrase in the verses, electricity, sentimentality. It was just, yeah, it spoke to me. I don't know how and I don't know why, but it did. It was really good. It was really catchy, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I think it was simple. I think, I don't want to put them down too much, but it was a easy thing to do I think um, but it was really catchy and it, it, yeah, it gets stuck in your head really I really want to talk about the fourth track Afoken Doko Mien uh, mm-hmm. as I said before I think this is one of the well I think it's the best on the album because it it does have this kind of it feels like it's kind of like a loop track like it's building up over like at, just adding more and more layers to it um, and it kind of shows them doing something like almost completely different to everything else on the album. Um, I don't think anything else on the record is this stripped back, but it still has that kind of James, your favorite word today, groove. It has that groove to it still, even without the big drums. This is the track I put groove in. That's what made me remember it. <laughs> and and it goes for the bleeps and bloops, right? It does it never kind of has to resort to the harsher tones to kind of get the feeling across of what it's trying to do. I think it's just really strong overall. A couple of comments I had here were after only two listens, it was stuck in my head and I was just humming it to myself as I was going about the day. Um, And I thought, that's a sign of a good song. Um, But also, from memory... I couldn't remember any lyrics to it because, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a uh, completely non-English track. I don't think there are any English lyrics in this one, um, which is curious. That's the track which was most memorable and stood out to me when I wasn't listening to it. I found that quite um, intriguing and I questioned why that was the case and why I thought that. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. It's a really, really nice little track. And even then, it's it's it, it, it's certainly interesting for me, someone who does 
dote on lyrics a lot, suddenly this track where I don't know what's going on, I go, yeah, this is nice. This is good. Um, I found that was a really um, intriguing thing. And I think I discovered something about myself <laughs> listening to this. It's very deep. It's getting deep, this discussion. Yeah, I liked that on this, on a, on a very electronic-based album, it, it still had electronic elements, but it felt like a very human track, I guess, because it had uh, great lead vocals, but also a sort of choir-like backing vocals. And I'm not 100% sure on this, but it, it kind of sounded like it maybe had some clapping as sort of percussion, or if not, perhaps it was more like a just different kinds of, of percussion, like different drums. Um, but yeah, it just felt, it just... Yeah, there's a different overall feel to it, which is really nice, and it really contrasted well against everything else. Yeah, I just want to echo both Will and Tom actually. Um, I did think it was... Oh, rude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jess. The, the clap percussion was really good. Um, <laughs> Thanks. The quote-unquote repetitive nature of it was actually a, a positive here. I felt very, very chill and... Um, it was also one that got stuck in my head, and like you said, Tom, um, and I, I really liked the use of rhythms, and I really liked at the start where, speaking of echoing, um, the reverberation from the vocals, it really set a, like, a big atmosphere while still being a bit toned down from the other tracks on this album. Immediately after that, though, the it gets toned all the way to the other end and we get all that you <laughs> yeah. want. Um, and I I've been racking my one. brain to figure out what does the synth sound like? And it, it kind of sounds like Who's That Girl by Robin, but I realised while someone else was talking earlier, it's LCD Sound Systems Dance Yourself Clean. It's the synth that comes in at the end of that track. Right, it sounds yeah. like... Even like the melody it plays is almost the yeah, same. Yeah, that's true. I'll have a listen after it's this. It's given I mentioned Robin earlier, and I was also thinking about a different synth sound entirely that Robin used, which is, which is on um, uh, Dancing on My Own. That's where I thought it was from. See, I've got written down American Dream era LCD sound system, like Oh Baby and stuff like that. We're really <laughs> getting deep into the LCD lore here, so I won't carry on. But um, the, the song actually that it really stuck with me um, on was it, it reminded me of Heartbeats by the Knife. And by yeah. reminded me, I mean like it sounded extremely similar to. <laughs> Took me a minute to realise what it was, but yeah. This is a good one though. That's, that's a great synth sound. I, I love all those songs. It's it's a really good point though, because there are lots of points where um I can very, very clearly link I mean we mentioned Craftwork anyway. I'm sure there was a synth sound from Craftwork buried in the first song. And Daft Punk, I feel like that was in track three. That was in Casio. And then we mentioned Robin. And then 17, 18, 19. Again, it's Yazoo. It's, it's, it's the Human League. Because I can hear those same synth sounds. Like, instrumentally, there are a lot of places where it has literally been cut, where it's been cut and paste. But also, it doesn't matter. It sounds really good. And it sounds really, really uh, fresh. It feels like they've taken that same preset that same template and done something completely different. And I really, really like that. I think that's amazing. Yeah, this is kind of the other side of the whole Charlie XCX thing for me, where on that album, I felt like it was taking wholesale and there wasn't anything else to really latch onto other than what they were copying. Whereas here, it, you can hear 
well, I, it's kind of interesting because for this track, at least, each of us has kind of pulled out a different song that it reminds us really vividly of, which is, I don't know, I don't want to get into the psychology of that, but you can hear <laughs> maybe where it's coming from, but you don't care because you're having such a blast as you go through anyway. Yeah, and it's just, it's just fun. This was probably my favourite track. It's like, what can we tell about your childhood from which song you identify with from All That You Want by Vivio Sound Machine? <laughs> we blot some paint yeah. <laughs> on paper and tell you it's this song. What do you think? No. Um, All That You Want was... It's the one that I remember the most vividly and it's probably my favourite one. It had such um, sass and it had such attitude and it really, really... Um, was like insatiable. It was just addictive. I I almost felt like I needed to move to this. I really, really liked this. Um, and again, on paper, it shouldn't necessarily resonate. Lyrics aren't that deep. It's not too, um, shall we say, organic or acoustic. Um, but yeah, I adored this. It felt amazing. It would feel perfectly at home on my classics playlist alongside freaking Modio and 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 ABBA and Taylor Swift. I thought, yeah, I'll throw it on there. Easy. Easy. Yeah, I will it was a standout track as well for me. And it doesn't, like you said, Will, it doesn't lean too heavily on its influences, I guess. Like cause that, that synth goes away after a bit and it just does other things which are really good. Yeah. So it doesn't that's not like holding the whole song together. But there's one bit, um did anybody else hear like what sounded like a dolphin at one point? A dolphin? Isn't is that just me? Do you know what time it roughly like in the dolphin, song is? It was like a dolphin like trilling or something. <laughs> I can't say it is. Let's um, hear that. I'll I'll find it. But I've I've. I wonder if sometimes we repeat. just say things like this just to get everyone to go back and listen to it again. I swear it's just like a random. It's just like a really weird form of subliminal marketing. You remember the bit with the dolphin? Get everyone to listen to it again, and there is actually no dolphin. We just want you to listen to it again. I'll find it. I'll t- I'll tell you. I'm not lying. I put there are horns. Well, I had those as well. Well, the dolphins playing the horns. Would they play through their <laughs> mouth or through their blowhole? Yeah, I had the same thought. I think it's getting late. Uh, I think it's getting late, and we're all quite tired. I was like, do <laughs> I want to ask the question? <laughs> And now you realise what a mistake it was. I'm still um, a track six. Huh? I'm up to three minutes in, and I haven't heard a dolphin yet, Jess. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be listening hard. Yeah, I am listening. Yeah, it's at one twenty-six. It is at one twenty-six. Please believe me. Listen hard, and you will be rewarded. Hang on. One twenty-six. That's just like a, it's just the disco string um thingy jig. Not a dolphin. <laughs> You've not convinced me. I listen to like it every later. disco song what ever. Disco string thing. It's where they um I've never heard a dolphin in a disco song before. I don't know what the word is, but it's, it's just like pitch bend down on a, <laughs> like a violin. Do <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe it's a Foley artist. Maybe that's what dolphins actually... Maybe that's all the noise. Maybe that's how they create the sound effects for dolphins. Yeah. They sample it from disco how, songs. That's how dolphins are born. 
Tom, did you hear it? <laughs> I'm bringing back the like yes. season one I, unmuted I, unmastered I, I energy. Wanted, I, I wanted to be a dolphin so bad. <laughs> yeah. I really do. I want to be a dolphin. You what? just have to believe, Tom. No, I want it to be a dolphin. Oh. I want the sound to be a dolphin so badly. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I'm oh my. pretty sure. I'm, no, I'm he sure said he said it. he wanted to be a dolphin. He just we... changed it from because of our reaction. <laughs> Can we just wrap it up? We're not going to provide anything else useful. Yeah. <laughs> Upcoming releases. Uh, I wanted to talk about. Um, want to see your face again? The sixth track. Uh, this is, I feel like, the one that goes most into the disco sound, uh, but also. They bring in like a yep. steel drum or a pan drum. I don't know what the difference is between the two. Uh, but again, it's like kind of distorted. So it, it sounds like it's like dirty tropical house where tropical house is like the most like clean, like <laughs> summertime vibe. Like it, it feels like, you know, like a soft, sweet cologne. And then they, they've kind of like turned it up into sounding like dirty and like dark club worthy I'm very much into it mm, it's great mm. you've put it into words in a great way that I could not have articulated but I'm on board steel drums are um, concave and um, hand pans as they're more technically known are, are convex that's, that's the difference and they're slightly different have slightly different origins as well musically speaking that doesn't help me identify which one is in this song. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> I need honest. to have a listen again. Well, you can't hear whether it's convex or concave? <laughs> Where does it appear? I'm a fraud of a mathematician. <laughs> Wait for that. Do answer. some frequency analysis. <laughs> Don't need frequency analysis. You just Ooh. need to know what's what. Which track, you to look at the shape six. of the waveform. <laughs> It'll be convex or concave. i Fourier transform out. <laughs> Don't you know that if you do the FFT, it makes the shape of the instrument that it's playing at that point? Track six. Where, where does it appear? Where does it... It's kind of in the middle of the track. Kind of in the middle of the track. Okay, one sec. Oh, I went and listened to Food for the Dolphin, but you could just give all oh, it's kind of in the middle. Oh, no, Tom, jump to 3.30. Sorry. I'm just going to jump in here as while everyone's listening to the concave <laughs> bill pan drums or whatever. Um, throughout the track really there's this like nice driving simp to it but then i got quite surprised with the vocals towards the end where i think well i think i guess it's the chorus where it's like i want to see your face again even despite having so much like energy throughout the rest of the track this particular line at this very moment felt really emotional um give a really emotional tone and no it, it kind of brought the track alive a bit more <laughs> I really appreciate that bit. Um, answer, it sounds like a steel drum. Um, but I also suspect it could be a digital sample played on the keyboard. Um, just because of the, the the rhythm doesn't sound how I would expect a steel drum to sound. But I could be wrong. I don't even know. I used to play steel pans and... It sounds more like a steel pan than a hand pan, but I'm not convinced it's a steel pan either. So, so there we are. You, it's a mystery. You learn things on this podcast, except you don't, because we don't know either. Hand pan. Well, on track nine, <laughs> a yo-yo, I, I didn't know if it was a xylophone or a steel pan. I thought it was... I feel oh, like that should I be obvious like between those two. Let's 
too many instruments, guys. This is where I was actually planning on going next. A yo-yo it has some kind of tuned percussion, but then it also has the like bluesy guitar solo going over the top of it, which I thought was a, an interesting combination of things. And it it just kind of works. You, there's never a point in it where I was like, this is a weird combination. It's just like, oh, the, this is uh, an interesting mixture of things, but I'm completely on board throughout. Yeah, I've noticed the, I've noted the same thing. I've actually put more guitar is always welcomed because on the track before, no truth, truth, no lie. Sorry, there's also like this nice blues guitar coming in, and it gives like a breath of fresh air, and it really did fit. I don't know, it just it just felt right in the moment. Like whereas the other tracks, maybe it wouldn't fit, but yeah, in both these tracks eight and nine, it was welcomed and it, it was great. I can't remember exactly where it was. I think it might have been on electricity, but there were some moments on here where I thought her her voice kind of reminded me of um, Beth Howard. Is that her name? The lead singer of Alabama Shakes. Just because it had like the reverb turned all the way up and it just had a similar inflection. I feel like maybe it's that kind of link that makes it work or maybe just it works and so I'm making that link. But because obviously Brittany Alabama Howard. shakes have Brittany Howard, that's the one. Uh, obviously, they're an incredibly bluesy band, right? So then throwing in that influence here just kind of, oh, yeah, that works. Yep. I really like to yo yo. That's about it, really. I want to quickly jump back into um, 17, 18, 19, and Truth No Lie, actually. Um, to, I both I really enjoyed both of these ones, but they they were like, um, they felt quite sort of eighties almost. These two, like as opposed to some of the other tracks that are more modern synth pop that like we mentioned. So, <laughs> seventeen, eighteen, nineteen was funny because it was it was really catchy and it it's not as cheesy as this, but it almost sounded like the sort of thing that you'd that was from like seventies or eighties that you'd now hear at sort of family friendly disco nights. <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> Um, like particularly the the one song I I tried to I was trying to identify what it reminded me of, and the thing I could think of most was um, "Walk the Dinosaur." Do you know that song? No, I'm pretty sure it gets played in Night at the Museum at one point. Everybody walk the dinosaur. When do you think the last time I saw that movie was? Oh, every month for me. You'll okay. I've just searched it on YouTube, and the second uh. One is Walk the Dinosaur from Ice Age, Dawn of the oh, Dinosaurs. Oh, maybe it was that then, yeah, yeah. By Queen Latifah. <laughs> it's probably in like, the museum. There's dinosaurs mm. in that. You get what they are. You get the scenario. And then Truth No Lie was um really like 80s drums and synths. Yeah. Like, some of it sounded like it was straight out of Blue Monday, which is always fun, I guess. And then with the keyboards or something, it was very Daft Punk as well. That was, that was when I noticed Daft Punk the most actually on this track. But two fun little ones I thought in the middle of the album. I enjoyed both of those like catchy little ones. Yeah. Similar thoughts for 17, 18, 19, which I don't know how it's possible because there's only 12 tracks on this album. Um, but it's I thought it was more generic, um, in my opinion. Maybe that's that's where my, I guess, negatives come in. Um, 
it was enjoyable. Like you said, yes, it was really enjoyable, but it felt really generic. Good stuff, but generic. Um, but yeah, Truth No Lie came in and it had the guitar, so I kind of forgot about that <laughs> in the end <laughs> until I just read it now. That's fair enough. Uh, Freedom, the final track. This was the one where actually I heard the hot chip influence the most. Because I feel like in the they have this contrast between the vocals in the verses and then the choruses that really resonated with a lot of what I like about Hot Chip, where Alexis Taylor does kind of the sweet vocals in the chorus and then they have kind of the harsher stuff in the verses. Um, and it just mirrored that like quite closely. But I think it all kind of comes together and it actually like closes out the album in a really nice way. Yeah, I thought this was a really good track. Actually, like surprising, it, it kind of it kind of brings you back into it after the last the couple of tracks before that were fine, but like didn't really catch my attention. But this one brought it back again. Um, the the electronic drumming on it was like very frantic, and apparently I read somewhere online this is inspired by uh, traditional water drumming that's from Cameroon. So if so, that's a that's a cool tidbit. Um, but the way they did it in this, like the way it was sort of the way it was like merged in with this sound was um it very reminiscent to me of someone like Sophie or even Death Crypt, something like that. So like far away different uh, different bands now. But it was, you know, I like things like that. That was nice. But then it had this big contrast that like you mentioned with the vocals, which are very smooth. And then in the chorus you have these really nice, like wider synths that felt quite uplifting. Yeah, it was. Just, it just had these really not, a lot of fun elements that came together really nicely, and yeah, very hot chip as you said. It's a good one, a good ending track, I think. Yeah, my favorite thing about the track was was the simps. It really felt like just Son messing around with their modular synth and just notes going everywhere. But it felt really just really, felt really cool to be honest. Um, I've noted the vocals as well, um, but not. Not in a good light. Um, if it just felt a bit off at the end, I don't know. It just they just felt they could have been cleaned up a bit more towards the end, um, and that kind of left a bad taste for me. But it, it to be honest, it didn't really affect my view on the rest of the album, which is generally good. Right. Let's ask the age-old question then: Should our listeners go and listen to this album, James? Yeah, listen to it. Jess? Yes, absolutely. Strong recommend. Tom? Yeah, I was trying to think of something funny or witty to say, but yeah, just go listen to it. It's really good. Yeah, no quips from me. Go and listen to this album. So, where are we going to rank it? The rankings currently stand as... At number one, Black Country New Road with Ants from up there. At number two, Oso Oso with Sore Thumb. At number three, Animal Collective with Time Skiffs. At number four, Bonobo with Fragments. At number five, Yard Act with The Overload. At number six, Bodega with Broken Equipment. At number seven, Beach House with Once Twice Melody. At number eight, Charlie XCX with Crash. At number nine, Jack Francis' self-titled album. At number ten, String Machine with Hallelujah Hell Yeah. At number 11, Burial with Anti-Dawn. And at number 12, Earl Sweatshirt with Sick. Honestly, going into this review, I could have seen arguments for it going 
pretty much anywhere. <laughs> but I feel like I've got a strong feeling now where I'd like to put it at number seven. So just above Beach House and below Bodega. Wow. I was I was thinking that at the start of the the review, but I'm like I'm going through the track, going through the albums, and it keeps going up and up. <laughs> so I would possibly even get to the point of going at number four above Bonobo. I would probably go a bit higher still, but that's mainly because I wasn't too keen on the top three we've got now. Um, and it answers the same query. I, it would happily get to number four, but it would also happily go higher for me, personally. When I look at how enjoyable this album was, how much I'm going to come back and listen to it, and how many tracks, like the proportion of tracks that I thought were hits rather than misses, this is very strong. And I think, for me, I would go in at number four. It's not. It's similar to Bonobo. I feel like it has some... It's on. It's not on a too different a level, and it has some similar kind of sounding tracks at points. But I reckon it's a bit more exciting. Okay. Well, uh, we're not going to start from the bottom. First off, who thinks it should go above Beach House? Yes. Yeah. Easy. Yes. Yep. That's everyone. Who thinks it should go above Bodega? Yep. Yes. Yep. I would not put it above Bodega. But so you are three outvoted. people, so it keeps going. <laughs> Who would put it above Yard Act? Yes. Yeah, easy. Ah, this is difficult for me. I'm I'm gonna say no. You know, I'm gonna <gasps> oh. say no. <laughs> okay, but it's got two votes, so it's still going. Damn right. Who would put it above Bonobo? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That was who would push above... difficult for me, but yes. Who would push above Animal Collective? I would. I'm gonna stop there. Oh. <laughs> so it's going in at number four between Animal Collective and Bonobo. New top five. Exactly in the place where we put Rhythm Thief earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this album is secretly Rhythm Thief. Secretly. We should do a review one week where we're like, we're reviewing the new Ed Sheeran album, but actually it's Rhythm Thief. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've just missed April Fool's. April Fool's is yeah, just gone. I was literally just going to say, bonus episode. I really liked his references to Paris and its monuments. <laughs> I really liked the rap verse in, in the third verse. That, it works that does for sound both. like an oh, Ed really Sheeran like, song. I re- <laughs> exactly. I really like how the lyrics are in the description and not on the video. <laughs> Oh yeah, did you see that they sorted out uh, Oso Oso's album? So now it's not... There aren't two versions oh. and hidden tracks added on. It, it's sorted. Nice. Sore thumb, not sore throat. I don't know why I kept getting that wrong. That's really annoying. <laughs> um, right. Let's get on to upcoming releases then. Uh not too much coming out this week. Uh, the big one, as far as I'm concerned, is Prince Daddy and the Hyena are releasing their self-titled album. It's the follow-up to Cosmic Thrill Seekers, which was like their rock opera, like all of the tracks running together, incredible feat of emo songwriting. Um, I haven't been too hot on the singles for this one, 
But I'm hopeful because I really do like the band. Uh, and the only other thing coming out that I think is particularly noteworthy uh, is Spanish Love Songs are releasing Brave Faces Etc., which is a reworked version of their album from last year, Brave Faces Everyone, which was like, it was like full-on melodramatic, like pop-punky emo stuff. If you want proper self-loathing, like kind of underground version of Blink-182, they'll be it. The reworked versions are kind of like all over the place, like some of them are piano ballads and some of them are electronic versions of their tracks, so it could be just weird, which I feel like is noteworthy above it, above anything else. And that's it for upcoming releases, and that's it for the show. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, we've got lots you can listen to, or you could subscribe to make sure that you know every time we release a new one. They come out every Monday. You can follow us on Twitter at Unmuted Weekly and on Instagram at Unmuted Unmastered. Or you could drop us an email at unmutedunmastered at gmail.com. I can now reveal the album for next week is Leave a Light On by Pillow Queens. Woo! Did you love it? Did you hate it? Or would you rate it? Whatever else. You're says. the best. You're the best. <laughs> what should I review next? Oh, Fantano. <laughs> oh, Fantano. So <laughs> <laughs> I started saying Fantano, it's like, that's not quite right. So I exaggerated. Fantano. <laughs> 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 <laughs>